Greetings, fellow travellers. Welcome to the NUIG Archaeology Society podcast, Half Travel Will Travel. We are going Hollywood tonight, talking to Shad M. Brooks, author and fellow podcaster. Our fearless auditor discusses perceptions of history in pop culture with him, as well as the dangers of inaccuracy and fake news in coverage of historical topics in the modern media. So sit back, grab your popcorn, and enjoy the journey. Hello and welcome. I'm here with Shad today from Shadiversity on YouTube, where he does a lot of really interesting videos about uh, a lot, a variety of medieval topics, and also a writer as well, with at least one published book that I've seen so far. Um, so really excited to have him on to talk to us today, and I will turn it over to you, Shad, just to tell us a little bit about yourself. Ah, my pleasure. Uh, thank you for inviting me on, of course. But uh, as was mentioned, my name is uh, Shad Brooks. Um, I am uh, essentially a medieval enthusiast. I love so many aspects of that period, uh, so much so that I also really love uh, seeing it in the historical context, but also in the ways that we tend to like to adapt it into realms outside of history because it's such a, a interesting and evocative and also uh, almost adventurous kind of romantic period of history with the imagery, the things around it, the culture and the practices and stuff. And so I love seeing how it's adapted into fantasy and uh, also seeing it oh, and trying to encourage more authentic and accurate ways in doing it as well. And that's kind of the, uh, the theme of my channel where I love to explore the, the hard history side of things, the absolute, you know, what was accurate, but also uh, looking at, fantasy and sometimes just pure fantasy with not much historical context but in other ways diving really into the serious um, uh, analysis of how well they've adapted uh, the medieval period into pop culture things like Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones and uh, and it's just such a very popular thing ever since from like King Arthur to Dungeons and Dragons the medieval period is uh, is uh, really really influential in in pop culture uh these days and which i think is brilliant because it actually it creates a an entry point for people to learn about history and that was actually the, the thing with me um it was my love for these adventure movies and stuff robin hood prince of thieves as atrocious as that is on the accuracy side <laughs> of things that was a major entry point into my huge um, love for this period. And it has caused me to learn like much, much more about the actual historical period itself. So I actually, I do believe that fantasy and pop culture uh, is, can, can serve as a great, um, uh, almost assisting force, an entry point for growing and promoting the love of history as well. And that's what I kind of like to explore on my channel. There's a long answer for you, but uh, yeah. that's, uh, that's the danger when you get me on an interview. I'm going to give very <laughs> overly detailed answers. Yeah, no, that is, that's fantastic. And I, I have to say, at least me personally, I agree with you a whole lot in that, you know, I grew up reading fantasy stories and watching all those kinds of movies like Lord of the Rings and it was just uh, that's probably where part of my love of history came from my mom is also a historian so I know she kind of instilled in that in us at a young age but I know a lot of people really they when they start getting into history or the medieval period and things like that it usually starts with a movie or a TV show or something that they've seen and it just it sparked that interest. Um, I know that's one argument some people have for why it's not necessarily it's too important how historically accurate something is if it encourages someone to go and 
learn more about it, um, mm -hmm. which is an, an interesting discussion. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. Because at the same time, um, uh, pop culture, movies, TV shows, whether it's fantasy, but or even more so if it's actually supposed to be based in historical period, can be a source of gross in misinformation. But at the same time, it was because of the, uh, those, I guess, almost the inaccuracies and stuff that caused me to do further research and find out for myself. And, and so it's almost like a, a double-edged sword there where it, it, it does have this negative effect of misinforming people, yet it has this real positive effect of getting people into history in the same process. And so I do try and encourage to, um, uh, uh, do the both sides well, where it informs people accurately of the history and gets people more enthused. But yeah, you're absolutely right. About yeah. That side. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's a fine fine line to be walked. I know there have been some um, movies that I've watched, uh, especially like with my mom. As I said, she's a historian. Um, where we'll see something, and sometimes it's it's okay if you can kind of overlook um, the. Uh, how accurate something is because you know it just makes it look cool or it kind of fits in with the setting but then there's sometimes where you know something happens you just look at it and you're like that's not possible uh. <laughs> <laughs> like we had watched there was a movie about uh, Mary Queen of Scots and Queen Elizabeth that came out relatively recently and there's a ton of problems with that movie but the one thing that stands out to me is like Queen Queen Mary and her whole entourage were dressed in basically denim outfits. <laughs> and that infuriated my mom and I. We just, we could not believe that. And that's something that I would say is a little bit too much where that's yeah. so far out of the realm of accuracy. That yes, it just, absolutely. Ugh. I mean, because when it comes to the fashion and just the, the costumes, to me, like... It's bizarre because it almost seems like sometimes they actually put in more efforts to be inaccurate than they would have needed to to have been accurate, and they would have gained just as much out of it uh, being accurate. I was having a good conversation with another great YouTuber called Lindy Beige. His name is Nicholas Lloyd of Lindy Beige, yeah. and he was actually sharing an account with me that is that someone who actually worked in film told him when they were getting extras for a historical based uh, period piece film that they got in contact with reenactors and the reenactors came in there miraculously and detailed research, the outfits and everything like that. And the director's like, no, 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 it's not gonna work. It needs to be dirty. It needs to look like this and everything. And then they actually spent money to give them yeah. horrible costumes to make it look like the, uh, the stereotypical medieval period and not the real medieval period. Yeah. And that, that baffles me why they would do that. And so when it comes to yeah, things like costumes, it's like, it's not that difficult to actually be accurate, but there's these these tropes, these stereotypes that have been really ingrained. But at the same time, what's interesting in the in the, the nature of film, I do concede that there are some elements that you do need to play and try and balance to try and uh, achieve what the purpose of film is to make an interesting narrative. And so sometimes they have to, you know tweak certain events in terms of their time frame and i don't think they should go too far i think that you know yeah. i'm always more on the side of accuracy but i mean a, a perfect example is, is language for instance i mean they're not speaking old english uh in the film which is of course inaccurate because uh yeah. english now is very different to english then but that's a natural adaptation that has to be done in the very nature of film to make it even 
comprehensible to the audience. Yeah. And so there are, of course, elements that do need to be adapted and realism affected just for that transitional process. But there are certain things that should not be difficult to keep accurate at all. Yeah. And, and we would hope and encourage um, because because it's amazing the misconceptions I hold from film and other things like that, that were ingrained in me in a young, in my young, you know, self, my mind then where I had such a, you know, a, a very specific view of the medieval period that was completely incorrect. And I was fully, you know, um, uh, influenced by the films I, I had watched. Um, and so that, that was an, an unfortunate disservice there. I agree. Yeah, no, that's something that I think uh, most, if not all of us, uh, start out with, especially if we get into medieval studies from pop culture, um, <laughs> those certain tropes and things that you kind of, you, because especially when you're young, when you see something on TV or see something in a movie, you kind of take it at face value, like, yes, mm -hmm. that's how it is. And then you start reading more into it, and you're like, oh, everything <laughs> I know is wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, and it can be amazing how much was wrong when you really look into it. Like, yeah. Oh, I remember when I started to do some research on Braveheart, you know, like, uh, and uh, when I first watched the film, I was young, I didn't know too much about it. Mm -hmm. And then, then you really look at it as like, oh, that's interesting. You know, the Battle of Stirling Bridge didn't even have a bridge in the film. <laughs> yeah. Like, really go, oh, kilts, kilts weren't even around during the time of all the Oz. Big Jan yep. and And it just goes on and on and on. And like, oh. One of the things I actually... Um, it irks me the most because it's almost like the inaccuracies can be on a scale. But one of the things that, that irks me the most is when they do a very disingenuous portrayal of historical figures and their personality. If they yeah. vilify the character far more when they were uh, who they were historically or turning a good person and depicting them as a villain. I think that's a particularly, you know, almost loathsome act, especially if yeah. we're we're actually giving account of it. This is a true person that lived in the past um, and changing the narrative around them. Now, granted, there are some historical figures we know very little about and yeah. you have to fill in the gaps. And then generally the, the gaps are filled for the nature of the type of story that you're, they're trying to complete and stuff. But then on the other hand, there are historical figures we know a, a good decent amount on um henry v is a great example with the new recent netflix film the king and it was it was just interesting that the and i i criticized the, the film pretty heavily for, for this how they almost reversed his character to the point where he was completely reluctant in the film to go to war with france when historically no he wanted to go to war with france yeah. he was actually pushing that before he even became king this was he felt that the the lands that they he took was fighting for to try and take back were rightfully english uh, and he yeah. felt fully justified in the war yet the film depicted that he was uh, wholly against going to war and that he was uh, this easily manipulatable weak kind of figure mm. which was a wholly you know disingenuous depiction of this very dynamic historical figure. They could have, yeah. I, and I mean, th there are always things that you do need to fill in the gaps, so then I get that, but you could have taken the historical account and made something tremendous about it, working off the idea of what we have of this historical person. And so, yeah, so, uh, again, just that's one of my stronger pet peeves. I'd love it if um, when we're doing, uh, doing uh, historically, uh, you know, um, you know uh, time piece films tvs that we try and be true to who these people were um and not 
irrespectively or uh, disrespectively uh, vilifying them unjustly so. Yeah, no, I've, I find that irritates me a lot as well. Um, There's actually, we had watched, um, my family and I had watched this one series called John Adams. Granted, this is much after the medieval period, but um, it was one that stands out to me in terms of like how they treated some of the characters, like some of the founding fathers in American history, that we know a lot about these guys, um, especially mm-hmm. since it's relatively recent in compared to like someone like Henry V. But, um, you know, they took some of the, the characters of the Founding Fathers and just completely changed their personalities to fit a certain kind of narrative the show is trying to run. And, you know, again, historian hit very heavily interested in history oh, yeah. family we come from the states and you know we're just sitting and we're there's sometimes we're just like that's just that's that's not how that's not how any of this happened <laughs> and you know it's we could see how some of those decisions were made because they were trying to make john adams uh more of a central character in some of these events where it Historically, he had nothing to do with some of them, or he was a periphery figure, but because the show was about him, they wanted to put more of a focus, but it ended up just doing a massive disservice to all of the other characters, and I think that just kind of, something like that just disrespects the history around it, because there's so many interesting characters, like Henry V, you have very, like you said, dynamic people with interesting stories. You really don't need to change it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like it baffles me that they and then they, and 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 then the attempts when they do change it, especially with that The King movie, was very <laughs> underwhelming. Uh, and like it would have been so much better if they just stuck with yeah. what was done historically. Um, so yeah, absolutely agree there. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So. Um, kind of along the, the lines of that, what are some of, like, I guess the most common misconceptions about the medieval period that you find influences these uh, movies or TV show, a lot of pop culture? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I usually always take uh, my first uh, critical eye in regards to the depiction of uh, the, uh, the time period itself. And so these are all mm-hmm. visual things I'm looking at fashion, architecture, weapons and armor are a big interest of mine. And so those always are at the forefront. But the more I learn about the medieval period, there are other prominent things that kind of um, starts to stand out to me far more, particularly about like cultural customs and practices and things and certain um, societal roles and positions. And and what's, what's kind of been bothering me recently is that there's a lot of... Uh, uh, modern ideas injected into historical films mm. to try and suit uh, a more modern audience, which I really personally feel does a massive disservice for the whole purpose of learning about history is to learn from it. Yeah, you want yeah. to, uh, you know, um, learn of the good things that they did and try and emulate it and learn of the bad things they did and try and not repeat it. Yeah. And so that <laughs> means not shying away from the difficult, challenging things that happened historically because there is some savage brutal stuff that happened but we really should never try and hide that away if we're wanting to learn from it and so what's interesting for me again this is uh, like the most recent one again is the king because i did a historical review of it i found it really bizarre that there's this closing scene between henry and his wife-to-be and i was amazed at how wrong they got the um 
the roles and positions that men and women had of the day. And they really gave the, uh, the princess this very modern kind of perspective on her roles and positions and how she would address this person who essentially just conquered their nation. And I, I was just amazed at like that. It really looked like very modern ideas and notions being injected into a historical period when again it undermines that one of the purposes if you want to learn from history you need to depict even some of the injustices and inequalities of the past so we can learn from it and stuff and that absolutely in um is uh, you know uh, revolving around the roles of women and the roles of men historically and also the different powers and realms that they are because it's really fascinating when you actually go and learn about it it and really when you is learn the, oh wow I, amazingly so because when you do learn about a very because my of course area of interest and focus is, all, is medieval period and my uh, my reading outside of that is that is very uh, very light unfortunately but there are growing interests in other periods but because i've dived into this what's been really interesting is finding the different power dynamics that did exist in certain areas between men and women and where in certain realms where women actually had a lot of influence, like, um, like running a household. And yep. uh, also, even if it was in a setting of a higher nobility, you had a manor or a castle, the women had a lot of influence and control over how things were run, the hire, the hiring and firing of staff who, you know, the, the running the budget on things, bringing in money <laughs> and other things like that. And, and it's fascinating stuff really, really is. And wouldn't it be great to have a film that showed these different power dynamics between the different roles that people had in the past to see what the contrast was and also to try and understand how those things evolved and the things that we could learn from it. It'll just be, deeply interesting but because some of these things in the past can be considered offensive nowadays people try to completely flip or or readjust how historical uh, times and people were depicted which is un which is unfortunate in my mind yeah. yeah i i'd have to agree with that as well it's it's one thing that i i kind of complain about a lot in various media um especially like when it comes to the portrayal of women now mm -hmm. you know i have to say i do love a good strong you know f female warrior <laughs> couldn't get enough of that but it also oh, I love you know it too. <laughs> it's great but you yeah. know it also if you focus entirely on that kind of aspect you completely lose out on the other side of things where it's you know the the women who didn't necessarily go to battle or do things, you know, they stayed at home, they managed the household, or they had a whole other range of things to do. And it's still just as fascinating. And it would be great to see a more historically accurate representation of the actual power dynamics in these households. Absolutely. Like, what's been fascinating me is learning about simple tasks and what was involved in them. Like, when I actually learned about how generally medieval laundry was done, like they're getting these big wooden paddles and beating to death the the, the cloths and fascinating. After, like and it's heavy hard work yes. and they're going to town on this stuff and it, it's really it really it really is fascinating um and so as much as i really love the the swords and the, the armor and the battles and things finding out the normal everyday life activities end up being really intriguing and engaging. And what's opened my mind and made me truly appreciate is the more I learn about the, uh, the length of uh, work people needed to go to for 
pretty simple things that, especially in the modern day, that now to wash my clothes, I press a few buttons <laughs> on a machine. And in the past, they had to beat to death these claws after racking them up and down with these massive paddles and everything like that. And sometimes even using like chemicals that be co could be caustic at times, sometimes yeah. using urine. I mean, my goodness, like it's, it's amazing. And so learning more about the past has given me an overwhelming sense of gratitude for the present and the luxury and ease I have in my life because the amount of work people needed to do just for, to wash clothes and and you can go to the, almost any task that you do in the modern day and look at the past and find that it was 10 to 100 times more difficult to do it oh for Cooking sure food in an oven I, I turn a knob press a button it's good <laughs> to go they needed to set a fire in this closed kiln kind of thing get it burning hot heat up all the bricks rake out all the coals now the bricks are warm wait until the temperature is just right okay now we can put the bread in there let it cook at that specific so already that's a task that takes hours to do to get to that point where all i need to do is press a couple of buttons or and turn a knob and it, and it amazes me and so again i feel so lucky for being in that living in the monday with all these blessings and conveniences but also i'm put in a state of respect and awe to our ancestors the amount of work and all, all and hell that they went through at times yeah. to just get by and live, but also to help build the world, build society to the point where we are in such a very, very privileged state. And so I am grateful to them for what they did. And again, this all comes from a study of history. And uh, I now, and, and so what re has really helped put things into perspective for me, when times get hard for me now, I have to pause and ask myself, okay, things are difficult now. Yet, does this, how well does this compare to the difficult times of back then? And they don't compare. Like, I'm they really don't. Tremendously lucky. <laughs> and it helps me get through the difficult times so much easier. I mean, there was a time when I was living in a much smaller house. I was uh, on a pension, so I barely had any money uh, and anything like that. And I was on, uh, if, if you consider the scales of what the poor is considered in a first world country, I was actually, I was, I was poor. But... All I had to do was compare my states to one, I could compare myself to third world countries and already that's a massive contrast now, bless yep. man. But when I double that up to the, to the past and I have light at the flick of a switch, <laughs> I, have heat, I have warmth. I mean, and the, 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 the contrast again and again, to, and it put me to the point where not only was I able to get through a time when I didn't have many you know, uh, resources or things to get by on easily, but it put me in a state where I was grateful for even being in that state because I could see that my situation could be a lot worse and people have had it a lot worse. And, and, and that all comes from, again, a study of history. It's amazing how beneficial and helpful it can be when we look at it in an honest kind of perspective. Yeah. And I, you know, it just gives you that, that kind of perspective. And I think it's in order to get that kind of perspective, you need to look at history, the whole of it. You can't um, shy away from kind of the, the bad bits or the bits that make you uncomfortable or might offend you. Um, Cause that, that kind of just amounts to just sweeping it under the rug and pretending it yeah. didn't happen. I know. Which, which just does a huge disservice to the people who suffered through that. Oh and, my goodness, yes. You know, had to live through that and the people who managed to survive. So like, um, like in America, um, the topic of slavery is always a touchy one and yep. it's one that for a long time we've kind of tried to shy away from and almost pretend it doesn't happen but you know then it's like pretending the millions and millions of people who were enslaved 
didn't exist or they mm-hmm. didn't have such a huge part of the building of our country and no matter how uncomfortable it makes us we need to face it and like really understand it and i think in media um we have a tendency to kind of like focus on kind of the better bits because that's mm-hmm. that's nicer it's a little bit uh uh you're less likely to offend people if you are focusing on just you know the nice the knights and the castles and the good stuff and all well, of that y- yeah, you're absolutely right. And it also undermines the the work that people fought to really hard to try and improve the state of the world. And what I find, especially with a short-sighted modern perspective that we see more often today, is that people seem to lack the understanding that progress is incremental, okay? You can't yeah. jump from zero and to a fair, just society. You need to go through all the things. And so you can look at a society that has problems because slavery was around, but you should pause and say, okay, what did they get through to progress society to the point where they could be in a situation to try and oppose slavery and abolish it and all the work. And, and there are so many things that had to, the foundation that need to be laid to even get to that point, both societally, but also uh, on the matter of uh, the, the cultures, the practices, the norms, and uh, the uh, government systems. Everything had to go through uh, processes of trial and error to even get to a point where they were in a state to even work against it. And another thing that I find very concerning is that people don't seem to, especially people who attack past figures and everything like that, they don't seem to understand how much people are products products of their society and their time. Okay, There are a lot of people condemning, uh, and in certain instances, right, so slavery is horrible, but this is the truth. If you grew up in a society where slavery was practiced, you probably would have practiced it too, okay? When you are brought up in a society where something that is is morally wrong, but you are taught is fine and perfectly good and sometimes morally just, you're going to believe it's morally just, okay? And if we're going to judge the past, we need to understand that perspective so carefully because it's a... You know, it's going to be interesting to see how future generations judge us and their own perspective on the practices we have in our day. Um, And so that that very much needs to be understood. And it's also, again, a matter of progress and everything, because it's very interesting when you look at past societies where um, you would call it murder. But where killing is integrated in a normal part of a society where it wasn't that out of the ordinary for people just to kill other people for small sites and uh, slights and then be justified in the law and things. And so even getting to the point where understanding that killing is bad was a process. (laughs) They needed to go through a lot of trial and error to get the point where we end up having these really phenomenal... um, uh, concepts philosophical concepts that elevate you know the ideals of freedom and individuality and things where we can then use to underpin um, uh, practices that bring about a much more you know fair just free society but again it's always been it's a process where people need to go through trial and error and what I find particularly valuable is when you look at the uh, those times when these things weren't in place and see the, the attempts or the failures and realizing what the, this is what mankind has had to go through, learn from the, our mistakes to get to a point where we can now be in a much better position. And so trying to ignore those elements 
is a very, very bad thing in my mind. No, definitely. That's um, something I know I talked to, because uh, again, my mom is very interested in history. So we have a lot of long discussions about historical topics and such, um, especially now that I'm uh, at home hiding from COVID. Um, but that's something that we always, you know, we always come back to is that you, you've really got to be able to fully understand all the aspects of history. Um, and you actually kind of touched on another thing that we've, you know, discussed before where um, history is so much more complex and there's so much more to it than people really um, understand. I know there was uh, one video that you were talking about the medieval period and there's one uh one thing that you said that I really, really liked where, you know, people tend to think of the medieval period as being this big homogenous blob when there's <laughs> all these, you know, it's, there's so many different little bits and pieces to it. You have all these different periods. And then of course, you know, the medieval England is going to be different than medieval Germany is going to be different from medieval Italy. You know, is yeah, there, Italy, yeah. Spain. <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's something that I'm actually wanting to learn more about because generally, and even I, I, I feel um, guilty of this when I present certain things, it's hard to find the specific details of, okay, this practice was England 15 or 14th century, specifically around there. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you can't find that detail, you do need to present it in a more generalized sense. Okay. We well, do have this account of this practice happening around this time. Hard to know where, but I want to learn the specifics because when I do find specific examples where things were vastly different between cultures in the same time period, in their same general location of medieval Europe, it just kind of wakes me up to think, wow, this is a very diverse, dynamic, you know, place where things are evolving and changing and people are doing different things from A to B and all these stuff. And so then it just makes me want to learn, okay, what, what's, what's the rest? What's like, tell, you know, tell me more, yeah. <laughs> but it can be hard to find if the places. So I then try and, and learn about it even more. Like I've been trying to learn about surfdom more recently to get mm -hmm. a better understanding. And as I'm finding, it turns out that there are different practices of how people else, how surfs were done in different parts <laughs> of Europe. Um, but what is, what is what I'm finding interesting, and it seems to be a more general uh, trend, is that the uh, more stereotypical um, uh, way surfdom is conveyed is not, doesn't seem to follow in line with the sources I'm finding where surfdom actually had a bit more freedom and flexibility than people who portray it as being one step close to slavery it's like what a surf could buy out being a surf when he when uh, and they did earn money and they earned money i didn't take that long for them to earn enough money to actually buy out of surfdom yet they chose to stay in it because it was more economically advantageous for them to remain as a surf under this you know arrangement like it's really fascinating things and it's like well, this is very different to the, the stereotype of what uh, yeah. uh, surf and things. Um, but then finding out that, oh, okay, maybe over in, in Germany during this time, it was a bit more unjust and there was uh, less freedom. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to need to learn a bit more about that to try and get a, a, more, a better balance on the picture as well. So, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting, but it's also going to be a challenge because uh, – the medieval period is often just, you know, and I've done it as well. It is just kind of analyzed as a whole. Like one of the big differences for me were learning that some of the nuance was the different laws of 
carrying swords, the right to carry a sword in public, and how that changed between location. And yep. it, turned, it turned out that, um, like, in uh, the uh, medieval, the Holy Roman Empire, so medieval Germany, essentially, stuff like that, because their government was less, like, less, more decentralized, the individual cities had far more power and, and got to govern themselves more independently. They actually, because of that, they had laws that basically required every able-bodied man to own a sword because they were part of the militia. And uh, that was as a direct result of the government structure and the fact that these cities were often times had to um, fend for themselves. But then when you contrast that to other parts of the medieval period where um, the governments had a bit more overarching authority, mm-hmm. it's interesting that they had laws trying to restrict the, uh, the people carrying swords and when and if in what circumstances you had a right to wear and carry them. And so that was a really, really fun, you know, nuanced kind of thing to dive into, to study, to learn the differences. Um, and then you see that you, you see that it's a very dynamic, changing place with different practices, against different locations and stuff, and it just sucks you in further to want to learn more. It really does. It's very easy to just kind of fall down those various rabbit holes, you know. So the more you look into it, and you realize, oh my gosh, there's so much more to this, and uh, you know an hour later and suddenly you're looking at uh, sword laws in 13th century <laughs> England when you started at the Holy Roman Empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no. I mean, and one of the difficulties is finding um, reliable information because there is so much yeah. misinformation out there. Oh, definitely. And um, I mean, I, the best places I'm, I'm finding is like, you know, direct sources, like primary mm-hmm. sources, essentially. And so I, I've been having massive amounts of fun diving into medieval artwork more recently and informing my understanding of certain parts that I'm researching from artwork because it is, it's, and they are, even that is laced with certain dangers because there's artistic license and the fact yeah. that sometimes the uh, period depicted by the artist is anachronistic to the way that they're uh, depicting the clothing and everything because they depict things so you have to understand okay the artist is actually depicting the 15th century but the event he's showing is something from the third century yeah. right? or something <laughs> like that um but understanding those differences and then figuring out okay this is the context of this artwork we can use the, what we're seeing here to inform us in this period specifically it's it's so fun to just uh, yeah i've been getting lost in those rabbit holes yeah. where i'm just diving in and and because more artwork is becoming more available there's a lot of um a lot of museums that are digitizing their illuminated manuscripts and making yeah. it available online and so i had a huge amount of fun just doing this deep dive research looking at um depictions of medieval archery and uh, that's been a more recent uh video series i've been doing trying to find out how, what medieval archery what were the techniques how did they do it um and uh, and that's been huge fun and i've been my main source for that is primary medieval artworks and it's and what's been fascinating is that it goes to show you how smart these people were because there are very specific details that they put in intentionally that you look at you know now in the modern day and archers doing is like they're doing the same thing but they the people doing it on over on this end they developed it themselves trying to figure out the best way to shoot this bow and then yeah. they de- adopted this stance and then we see that stance in medieval artwork as well and it's like there you go it's the, you know it's the same it's uh, and uh, and so yeah that's that's been huge amounts of fun 
and also about the university papers can be difficult because the time period in which they are published can be sometimes if they're too old they can have misinformation in them as well yeah. and stuff <laughs> and then getting access if you're not a university student that can be difficult on top of that and so there are challenges absolutely but it's also a lot of fun on top of that yeah no i i can imagine you know there's uh for my various essays uh, I I always have a problem stopping the research because I just start going more and more into it and I just really enjoy reading all of that, um, you know, what, what I could find at least, um, especially in COVID time where, so I'm currently in England at the moment uh, as my family's living over here. Um, so any resources I could have had in, in the libraries I was doing my essays, I had to rely on whatever I could find online. Um, and I imagine you're in a similar boat, especially being in Australia, <laughs> you know, it's, yes. it's, a, it's a bit of a distance from Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so, uh, so getting a hold of, of digital uh, or digitized records is pretty handy. And I, I just, I love the idea of looking at the medieval artwork and just, you know, hunting for those little details. Um, it's just, it's, it's fascinating. And it's, um, you know, so oh, as, archaeologists it's kind of what we do is we're looking at the primary sources at least you know if we're looking at the digs and we're looking at the mm. artifact in front of us um well j just on that note i had like a uh you know eureka kind of moment in my own research because um it was involved with my research on medieval archery because there are a vast amount of artworks depicting the arrow on what's called the outside of the bow or over the thumb but in conventional uh, like olympic style archery they usually always shoot on the you know the inside or over the knuckle and uh, and there's a lot of medieval artwork showing it that way but there is a huge amount showing it the complete opposite and i was looking at that and i i wanted to do like test it out myself can you shoot this way yeah. is it effective what are the pros and cons and there was one interesting challenge that a lot of skeptics were uh, some were even saying you can't shoot that way because of this issue and when you draw the bow back because the arrow's over the thumb there's a you can talk the string or grip it too much and the arrow will fall off and and they're saying because of that you're never going to be able to shoot this way reliably and effectively so therefore the artwork must be incorrect and i didn't like that answer because that felt like me imposing a modern i you know idea or notion on artwork when i think if it's being depicted so regularly on some really high quality detailed artworks that i felt there was there has to be something to that yeah. i wasn't the only one who thought that um and so my response to that was well if the if you really have a problem with the arrow falling off the you know the thumb when you're drawing it what if you just held the thumb up and cradled it like that and i made a whole video showing that if you do it this way you do the arrow falling off is a non-issue you draw it then you lower the thumb and you shoot and so that was me just coming to the conclusion naturally this is the logical answer to solve that problem and then recently i was doing my perusal medieval artwork i came across a really high detailed piece of artwork that comes from about the 15th century which is clear just from the um the style and how detailed it is and things and the arrows on the outside are over the thumb and it is so detailed and what's what just was the eureka moment is that the guy is holding his thumb up it is like clear as day undeniable showing he's holding his thumb up holding the arrow on that side and i was just like there it is oh that is fantastic that is just that's some validation right there <laughs> i know but, and it really was because like it goes to show you that this was a very intentionally depicted way that they were showing archery here because if uh, it was just random one side or the other the artist would have no idea that okay if it's going to be on the outside you'd need to hold the thumb up sometimes to hold it on yeah. the bow 
but the fact, the fact that that is depicted then you know indicates very strongly that not only was it done intentionally but the artist was fully aware of the techniques involved in shooting that way which then adds far more credibility to the whole notion of this yeah. different technique or style or method in shooting a medieval longbow and so yeah like um that was a that was a, a massive and i <laughs> i haven't even really highlighted this on my channel yet because i use this artwork i made a whole video with it my more yeah. more recent had it in it and I didn't notice the thumb until after the video. And I was oh like, gosh. what is that? <laughs> Wait like, a minute, look at this. <laughs> yes. So I think I need to make a dedicated video actually breaking down these artworks in detail. Like, like on every, because there's there's more than just one interesting element. Like there's another artwork that, that shows the arrow on this outside. And they have their their arm brace that, that uh, protects if the string hits your arm. There's these, you know, you hold braces on them. And the brace is almost held upwards on the forearm. And it almost looks like it's a mistake that it's on the outside but it turns out when you're shooting a really heavy bow your wrist can rotate inwards like almost at 45 to 90 degrees when at the full peak of the draw which would then rotate the arm brace to face mm. the inside and that is a very specific detail that only really experienced archers with particularly heavy bows are aware of. And I only had this presented to me from a really experienced boyer who pointed that out and then I looked at the artwork and the artwork is showing it at the same time. And then I was watching this guy shoot a 120 pound bow and his, his arm brace is directly on the top and at full draw it rotated in to face the inside. And that is an amazing detail because most people who do archery know that the arm brace just goes on the inside of the wrist like that. You don't put it on yeah. the top of you. That's bizarre. And the artwork had it on the top. And so I had a, there were even people saying, that's a mistake. Ergo, the artist mustn't have known much about archery. So you can't take the fact that he has the arrow on the outside as a credible thing. When in actual fact, the position of that, you know, uh, protective brace was very accurate. So accurate that even self-proclaimed experts in the field completely unaware of it yeah. and so that's how reliable and detailed that particular artwork was and so again just a really fascinating thing and the things that we can learn from primary sources like that and and how you can get lost in when you're doing that research yeah no that is that is just super cool <laughs> you know i had a i had a little little buzz of excitement as you were saying that because that is just you know secondhand um validation right there so i know that's yeah. something that we come across in archaeology as well you know we might be uh looking at various finds or we'll look, be looking at a site and we'll come up with some theories um but the best moment is then when you know a site gets uncovered and then the proof is then is right there in the dirt and you're like ha, i was yeah. right <laughs> Absolutely. It's a massive buzz and really, really fun and exciting. Um, and it also just helps you learn more about the past. Like, like mm -hmm. what's been really flooring me about, you know, this research on archery is it's expanding my perception and idea on archery from the medieval period. Whereas, like, And what's interesting, there are certain techniques that I'm finding depicted in artwork that were thought to not be um, uh, practiced in medieval history, but they were practiced in other cultures like Mongolian style archery or Japanese style archery. And when we see it in this medieval art, it's like, well, look at that, you know, yeah. it, it just goes to show you, well, maybe medieval archers actually knew quite a bit about what they were doing, you know, they yeah. were just these uh, uneducated, you know, <laughs> country bumpkin archers that um, the kings of Europe, Henry V, just 
threw into their army. No, these were people who were practiced at their profession, knew what they were doing, and, uh, and it helps humanize them when I find out things like this because it shows how intelligent they are and also that they're regular people and that you, then you can start to kind of see them as regular people, which then helps me particularly uh, appreciate what all, all the things that we had already talked about, appreciate the past, learn from the past, be grateful for where I'm at in the time now and stuff. And it does in a, just a, in a small way, learning about these fun, great little details in helping us realize that I'm not learning about, you know, just facts here. I'm learning about yeah. individuals, people who had hopes and dreams. They lived their own lives and they had challenges and triumphs as well. Uh, and, uh, and then, and then learning about how these people who, are very much like me, could end up doing great things, but at the same time, horrible things. Okay, that's interesting. That means if I was in that situation, perhaps I would be acting like that as well. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, uh, it's an opportunity to just learn more about yourself and also about what we as humans are capable of and what we can try and achieve if we work together, you know, all that fun, yeah. fun <laughs> noble sentiment stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that is... Uh you know, just like you said, learning about those things. I think that's what a lot of people are really interested, in, or at least they're getting more interested in it, is those those smaller details about kind of what would your life be if you were in that position, you know, mm -hmm. and realizing more and more that um, the people of the past are so much more complex and so much more human than we kind of give them credit for. Um, and just little little details like that yeah. really help. I think that's the key. I like because uh, history for me as a young child was boring. Why would I ever want to get into history and stuff? And and I think the key that actually opens up the amazing side to how dynamic and engrossing the study can be is what you're saying there. Imagining yourself in that period. And it's what's what I also find is this is one of the reasons why fantasy and escapism is so much fun. People loved role playing and doing not only pen and paper role playing, but live action role playing because they want to try and experience what it's like to live in a different world. And granted, sometimes it's a much more adventurous, you know, uh, conflicted yeah. world. But having said that, there was a lot of conflict and adventure <laughs> happening in the past as well. You don't need to go too far there either. There definitely and, was. Yeah, and for me, that that's kind of the the thing because I never realized that I was loving history when I was learning about swords and armor and, and things and, and picking them up and learning to use it and then wanting to learn about, okay, what's the historical context of these swords? How are they developed? How are they used historically? For me, it was always just a matter of, I'm learning cool stuff about swords. Yeah. Right? Um, but then I had to kind of pause and realize, oh, I'm, I'm actually fully into history. Well, that's bizarre. <laughs> I've always thought history was boring as anything, but it's actual, in actual rea reality, no, it's not. It's, a, it's much more about how you approach it. And when you do approach it in the sense of imagine yourself, in this state it's like when i try and imagine myself in the medieval period in this vastly different world it is fascinating engrossive immersive but also romantic and adventurous and because you know our world yes it's i'm very happy we live in our world and in all honesty if i got the choice to live now or in the medieval period i'd be picking to live now i wouldn't want to live in the medieval period. i'd want to visit i would love to visit I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I the know thing. enough about the past and history to know. I, I think I'd rather living now. Um, but, but 
picturing yourself, even if it's just a visit and stuff like that, is a massively adventurous and engrossing and fun thing, like tremendously fun. And that's why I love putting on medieval armor and wearing medieval swords and shooting medieval bows and all those things, because it's a type of escapism and it's a type of more, almost more wholesome and especially more educational escapism. Yep. And uh, I love doing it in fantasy. I love role playing and all and all yeah, all those things. But what's interesting, the things that attracts me to that is generally the side of history that I'm attracted to, the medieval part. I love medieval fantasy yeah. role playing. That. Um, and when you do it with, you know, in in a historical period, well, then you gain all the benefits that you can gain out of. And I kind of stumbled along. No one, no one actually said to me, Shad, you need to learn about history because when you do, you'll gain a greater appreciation of the modern day, the time you live in. Um, uh, the, uh, the society you have, uh, you'll, you know, have better relations with your, like even better relationships with your loved ones. You learn about what people did to try and, uh, protect those they loved and things yep. and putting yourself in those situations and stuff. It can be, uh, like an uplifting and sometimes confronting thing to try and do that, to put yourself in those situations and then taking that back to the present and trying to learn off that. And so these things weren't told me, um, uh, I stumbled into it because I liked swords and castles so much. And then I started finding these tremendous uh, blessings and benefits that are improving who I am as an individual and also the way I see the world as a result. Um, and that's the type of benefits people can get when they, you know, stumble into it from just doing role playing and anything like that stuff. But it's also, even if it's presented and that's kind of like what I'm trying to do here on my channel a bit as well is, uh, is whenever I'm talking about um, castles or swords, or even recently I did a video on different, how fashion evolved, like the main kind of garments yeah. people wore in the medieval period and how it kind of evolved and stuff like that. I'm doing it from the perspective that this is awesome and really interesting and fascinating and fun and stuff. And, uh, and uh, I, am, I get really um, satisfied when people respond to me that that's what they then end up getting sucked into as well, because that's not what, how history was presented to me. It was always the dry facts and the kind of boring side. And, and unfortunately, the people who were teaching it didn't see how awesome it could be. Um, when you approach it from the mindset of what you were saying, and I, again, I, I'll repeat again, I think that might be the first beginning key of helping people realize how awesome history is. And that's getting them to see themselves in that time, put themselves in their shoes. And, and either that can be an imaginative sense, but even in a sense of... Uh, Wearing the clothes, wearing the armor, going to uh, like a um, historical site, sometimes even educational um, things that are set up like parks and stuff mm -hmm. that can do it as well. And, uh, and then, yeah, the benefits are all there to be, um, uh, to be received as well when that happens. Yeah, you know, I think it's definitely, it's one thing to read about this stuff or to hear about it in a class. It's another thing entirely to mm. be standing, you know, at a site or in front of a castle or even just to, you know, be holding a sword in your hand or be wearing the kind of thing that just, it just makes it so much more real and you realize, oh my gosh, this is awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Like, <laughs> it's amazing the difference between like just knowing about something and actually comprehending it properly comprehending it. and that usually is only achieved through experience in some way but sometimes it can be through reading first-hand accounts and other things like really diving mm -hmm. in but the contrast is astounding like it really is astounding um because what you hear about 
the hard work people needed to go through to do small little things. Okay. Do you really understand how much hard work do you appreciate <laughs> that? Like the difficult it was because sometimes you need to experience to properly appreciate yeah, it. You can't quite experience the true struggle of washing your clothes until you're standing there <laughs> and you're just beating the crap out of it. Exactly. <laughs> and then you exactly. imagine, oh my gosh, they did this all day, every day <laughs> for yeah. most of their lives. <laughs> I know. Uh, and because what, what I find dangerous about the modern day is that we can start to feel entitled about the luxuries that we yeah. had. And, when, and, and this is the other thing, because as, as remarkable as a modern day is, it's far more fragile, okay? If you take away some very basic things, electricity, sh uh, shops, supermarkets, okay? I mean, if, and water, right? I take it at home, but if your electricity goes, most likely the water will shut up as well. But if you take away those two things, how many people know how to survive? Like that's a, a shocking um, uh, thought sometimes. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so to think that um, uh, these things are just um, uh, due us, that we deserve it and that our life should be always this easy. Well, it's like, maybe you should understand the difference to appreciate these luxuries and also just to be aware of, uh, of the, you know, how lucky we are to have things like where yeah. you can just go to a supermarket and buy any type of food that's healthy, that's uh, made to a high standard of quality in most instances, <laughs> depending on what your measure yeah. of quality is. <laughs> uh, taste versus nutrition can be a, a, a very, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, like it's so easy. And what's, um, what's interesting, that's actually, there are a couple of things that help facilitate massive progress in the modern day. And the fact that we don't need to spend, you know, five to eight hours a day on just getting our food is a massive one because now we can spend, you know, our time on other pursuits that can get us money that we can then spend on food. But all the time we are spending to earn this money, all that money we get doesn't need to be spent wholly on food. It's actually, in actual yeah. fact, we can get enough food from a portion of that money and spend the money on other things. And so suddenly we have a lot more freedom in the types of uh, pursuits we do with our resources, which enables me having a complete, you know, career on studying history, depicting, trying to educate, but also having fun with writing and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's something that would have been very, very difficult to achieve for a commoner back in the past. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, it's, it's uh, again, just looking at the, the contrasting kind of differences and then also hopefully not getting that sense of entitlement that, you know, because the modern day is almost an anomaly for the human state. If you want to look at what the standard state of humanity is, you're going to be looking at a lot of farming and agriculture. Yeah. Okay. We're actually living in a very odd time in regards to the natural state of mankind. Uh, and so to think that, you know, we are deserving of it. Uh, well, I mean, it, it depends on how, what perspective you have on that. If we work hard to achieve it. Okay. There's a measure of deserving there as well, but it also means these things should be appreciated for what Definitely. we have. And uh, you can learn to appreciate them by seeing the contrast, experiencing, you know, beating some clothing perhaps and learning how to <laughs> wash something. Yeah. Um, because then I think if we appreciate what we have in the modern day, perhaps we'll be a bit more careful about protecting and maintaining it, you know? Um, for sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of the core of historical studies or archaeology is 
just understanding the past a little better, getting a, a, a better perspective on it and appreciating more where we stand today because that's so reliant on everything that's come before us. And I think the more people can get involved in it or be interested in it through videos or like what we're hoping to do with the podcast is to make people a little bit more interested in these kinds of things because, you know, nobody really wants to sit for another lecture after a whole day of lectures. I mean, I would do that, but I'm a nerd. <laughs> so I, I, that's, that's a bit different, but most people are, are going to be more interested in, in this kind of thing and just learning more about themselves and the place that they have in, mm -hmm. in history. So. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what we we're saying before is that's a big advantage of pop culture and stuff yeah. as well is because presenting in such a really fun way is like, you know, history, it can be really fun. You get to play with swords and you get to yeah. shoot clothes and you get to wear <laughs> armor. And I mean, um, but also you get to wear cool dresses and uh, there's, uh, there's every number of things that also experience. Well, you know, what's a heap of fun? experiencing period food medieval food to just yes. understand like, like that's what they ate and sometimes it's really good yeah sometimes it ain't <laughs> so yeah. you get you get both ends of it <laughs> yeah. but uh, and uh, so not only is it fun because you're because the past can be like experiencing another country or a different culture because yeah. it very much is sometimes it's both right? it's another country culture and there's the past um and so it has that fun kind of strange different element where it's like we are experiencing a different world uh and because you know uh, uh, with all the things that we can appreciate with the modern day there are certain things because we live in it we're used to it this is the norm for yeah. us and so it's fun to experience something different to step into another world uh and that's a very much what it's like for me i've always you know um loved the notion of escapism with yeah. uh, playing games and fantasy and movies and tvs i've always been hooked on those type of things um because that's been fun and then then it just led into again history and all that all that fun stuff yeah no i think that's i think that's how most people get interested in is just trying to experience a different normality what life is like mm -hmm. for someone else whether it's in a different country or um a different culture or a different time or all three so absolutely fascinating stuff well i think we'll wrap it up there because we've we've hit an hour and i don't want to keep you too long so it's getting uh late over in australia it's the middle of the day for me so i got the day ahead of me but oh there you go, uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah so but it's all right but thank you again so much for coming and talking this has just been absolutely fascinating and it's interesting to get a a different perspective on this because you know we kind of come at it from a university academic mm -hmm. uh, kind of perspective, but I always like hearing um, about the the other sides of it because there's just there's yeah. so much more to the study. Well, there really is. Like I'm just uh, over enthusiastic nerd in reality, <laughs> and that um, and uh, and an enthusiast. Uh, but it's 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 surprised me, and also it does you know you know causes me to make sure. Uh, to be a bit more careful in the way I try and produce content. The fact that my channel has grown so big and that I'm in a position that can actually promote some, you know, um, ideas pretty far. And that just floors me a bit because it's like, 
uh, it's a position I didn't really expect myself to be in, in all honesty. Um, but it's also a great opportunity. And, and so it's kind of an interesting, fun thing to, because uh, I love finding like a really well-researched academic paper somewhere that I can then present to the the world, the broader audience yeah. uh, that would generally, that such a paper would find far more difficulty in getting promoted and things. And so it's cause like I did that with, um, I did a video on jousting, medieval jousting. And mm -hmm. so um, I actually think, I wonder, I can't remember now, but there, there was a paper that, uh, that had a great research on the fact that medieval jousting was not just in a couch position, that sometimes they held it in two hands and all mm -hmm. these really cool, great things. And, and so that was, a, again, one of those things that I honestly, like I is a privilege for me in my position to be able to actually do that, to take something that is, is, has been researched in academia, but unfortunately is a bit more obscure. And then I can, you know, present it in my own, you know, way, <laughs> which can be rambly, but it's, but I'm presenting it as someone who just passionately loves the subjects, like genuinely, um, and then get it in almost into a, the mainstream um, uh, thing. I want to like recently, and I wasn't expecting this video to do as well as it did. Like I, my most recent video, I was on the medieval type of armor called the brigandine, which is overlooked so, so much in everything. And I was and, actually uh, just watching that video the other day. <laughs> well, uh, the, the video has taken off. It's done really, really well. And it kind of humbles me at the, uh, the, the, the fact that I am in a position where I can get something that's such a cool fact of history, this armor that's been overlooked in so many things and help push it into the mainstream mindset that maybe, maybe like it. I don't know if I would ever be able to achieve this, but to have influence on TV shows and movies where they actually, we're going to try and do this a bit more because there's more influence or popularity. There's an actual, an actual yeah. huge following of people that want to see it depicted in what seems to be more accurate way. So let's do it that. And, uh, and I don't know if, if I had, like, I think it might be a collective effort through me and all the other great YouTubers that are doing it because I do see some changes in pop culture and other things where sometimes they, uh, the people making these movies and TV shows and stuff are going out of their way in small measures. It's, it's like mm -hmm. baby steps, just like, yeah, there's like, hang on. That's a lot more accurate than they ever depicted before. Yeah. Like, I'm seeing a lot more Gambersons depicted in in um, medieval adaptations, both historical and fantasy narratives. It's like, I made a lot of videos on Gamberson, really. Trying to <laughs> I wonder. I just, I wonder. You know, it makes you think. But if if I've had any influence like that, it just kind of makes me feel very honoured and privileged. It's like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, you know, I guess, you know, that's kind of the point of these kinds of videos or podcasts is trying to bring some of this more obscure knowledge to the mainstream and make this kind of knowledge more available to people who, to no fault to themselves, would not be able to slog through 40 pages of academic yeah. paper. I have had to do that for my own essays. And even for me, some of those can be so painful to read. 
<laughs> yes. And you, you know, cause you hit on another important thing. That's kind of one of the purposes I try and do with my channel. I try and take ideas that sometimes can be complex and sophisticated and present them in an easily and perhaps even enjoyable way, an easily digestible and also an enjoyable way. Uh, that's kind of my, the purpose. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes I, I maybe I, sometimes I, I fail where I, I missed the mark, but some other times I think, okay, that is actually a fairly complex thing, but people seem to be on board with it and they get it. And it's like, and that's, that's awesome as well. That's like, yeah. awesome. that's the goal. And seeing <laughs> in the times when I, when I hit the mark, it's like, ah, oh, it's a good feeling, you know? Yeah. I bet. I bet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Really cool stuff. Yeah. Well, again, thank you. Just can't thank you enough for doing this. This is, um, really neat to be able to talk to you and I'm sure our members will, will really enjoy because it's just, it's something different. It's not something that we can get in our various lectures. So. <laughs> well, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It, it has really been an honor. You have been listening to Have Travel Will Travel, a production of the National University of Ireland Galway Archaeology Society. If you get a moment, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and your favourite podcast supplier. Thank you for listening.